Praise the Lord, I have to write an essay on such a super sailorific, sunshiny day. A little less conversation, a little more... Oh no, I just need to get a little blood pumping in the old noodle. How about some calisthenics? Procrastination, the word itself, takes its own time. Procrastination. It takes, it gives you a moment to think of everything. What's your nation? Uh, yeah, so welcome, welcome to yes another episode of Chillin' Ambitious, the podcast that points out shit you didn't know was relevant. I'm O. I'm No. And together we make Oh, oh no. no. Yes. Uh, so, hey No. Hi. You know the ancient Egyptians had two words for procrastination. Um, I didn't until you told me that. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so yeah, there's actually, we usually have like one word that just means like, you know, you're putting stuff off till later, but they actually have one where it has a more positive connotation as a useful habit to avoid unnecessary work and impulsive effort. Oh, yeah, I'm totally done with that where you're like, Oh, but like, I don't need to do this. And like, you're like, people will forget about it if I just push it off. Right. Or like, maybe the first strategy you come up with isn't the best one. I've totally done that. Like, looking back, I was like, all I really need to do was like these 20 minutes of work, but I spent maybe hours doing it another way just because like I felt like I had to. Yeah. And maybe if I had paused just to be like, okay, what really needs to get done here? I would have realized the last 10 minutes. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. Yeah, I feel like that usually happens when like, um, that's mo- mostly happened to me when I was like working for other people and they would demand that like s- like a whole slew of things happened and you're like, but they don't all need to happen. Like, yeah. why don't we just focus on these three really important things? Yeah. Right? But then the longer you took to do, then eventually if you didn't do the other things, nobody even paid attention to the fact that they weren't done. Yeah. It was more like you just needed to get, yeah, like focus on what's important, forget the shit that doesn't matter. I think, you know what usually gets me in that phase when I'm like going way too hard on some, it's like I have this, again, modes where I get really perfectionistic and I want to get everything like perfect when really like, what really needs to happen is probably just the last part. But anyway, so, yeah. so that's had fun. I procrastinated <laughs> and, and maybe not been such a perfectionist on some things, I probably could have saved some time and maybe uh, some unnecessary work uh, versus the one that we're at, in our Western culture more used to understanding as a harmful habit of laziness and completing a task that is necessary, but you just don't do it. The example that they give is such as tiling the tilling the fields at the appropriate time of year in the Nile flood cycle. <laughs> yeah, like that's detrimental to like society. Whole yeah. yeah, like sorry, you ain't got no food. Bye. Like no, not everything is that serious. Right. We just took it. So we just took the lazy part as as the slothful, deadly sin. Anyways. But so you're saying that there's a more positive way to look at procrastination as like perhaps a helpful tool. Yeah. And uh, it brings us to today's life innovator, Jay Rifle. 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 <laughs> I always say that. <laughs> I know. I do it every time. Rifle like, rifle like, like the a gun. gun. Shut up to my little friend. 
Okay, today we have our life innovator, <laughs> Jay Rifle. Like the gun. Like the gun. Thank you much. <laughs> he is founder and chef of Knives and Fires Supper Club. He's a screenwriter. He um, also just knows things. And <laughs> One or two. And uh, yeah, he has managed to use procrastination to his advantage. Is that right? I think so. I think in a strange way. Like my whole current career path could be descended from that because I do these in two entirely disparate things and then I cook and that I still write and, and that I do other things as well. Um, because I always had an enormous problem, like particularly when I was just a writer, because that doesn't actually take an enormous amount of time each day, but you should be thinking about it and you should be doing it. And I usually didn't do it till very late at night. So my entire day would be consumed with worrying about whether I would be able to write that day and whether it would be any good, even though I had consistently written like every day for like years. Like, yeah. you know, and it was always fine, but you still have that, that fear. And I always had tremendous, like, you hear about these writers who get up in the morning and they have their coffee and then they write for two hours and they're done. And that would be totally amazing. But I've never been able to do that. And I have enormous anxiety about these things. So I think what I leveraged is that, that thing that people do like when they have like, you know, when you're in college, you have the paper to write and you suddenly decide it's like the best time to clean your house and, you know, you end yeah. up with a really clean house and your yeah. paper not, you know. The more things you have that you could be doing, that you have to be doing, the more chance you'll be doing one of the things you actually need to be doing. So, right. yeah. <laughs> so as long as I break my projects down into little uh, little chunks and kind of move between them kind of rapidly, things work out very well for me. And, and you you've developed something where you trust that. Yeah. Well, that's actually funny. Um, oh, Jerry John Perry is a philosopher at Stanford, and he is the author of the art of procrastination. And he said, the key to productivity is to make more commitments, but to be methodical about it. And then the, the, the reasoning behind it is that anyone can do any amount of work provided it isn't the work he's supposed to be doing at that moment. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so it's like you have like your list and then you're actually going to end up, yeah, actioning all those things that you really do need to do. Yeah, and methodical doesn't necessarily mean you do them in any specific order. I think yeah. that's the, the only trick to that for me at least. Well, yeah, and the other part that he adds to that, so like in order to get yourself to do all these other things, you need to have like this urgent goal that's not actually that consequential. That's that's supposedly what you're supposed to be doing so that you get all the other things done. Oh, that makes sense. So he's in academia, of course, so there's apparently lots of things that are pretty inconsequential. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He he probably gets a fair amount done. I I suspect he's got some books written there. Well, that's actually apparently um, the... The inspiration for the book was that he he had all this guilt about his procrastination uh, and his like inability to like deliver things on time, but then he still got this reflection from other people that was like, "You're really productive. Like you're one of the most productive people I know." And he's like, Wait, "So how does that work? How am I like really productive, but also a procrastinator?" And it's that apparently not all procrastinators, but a lot of them. It's not that they're lazy or they're not doing stuff. It's just they don't do them necessarily in the order that people expect them to. <laughs> and they're always, like, even when they're avoiding the thing that's, like, looming over their head, whether, I guess, for you is writing, you know, it's like, oh, God, like, 
and it can be this overwhelming thing because you don't even know like where you're going to start with it and da da da. So you like do all you're these other to, things. You're trying to induce new anxiety. Right <laughs> like, today. Yeah, I mean, a huge part of it is always going to be perception. I mean, primarily one's own perception. Like the great motivator is usually fear, but mm. by the same token, like fear, you know, often can make you avoid tasks as well. Absolutely. So. We've actually talked about this um, in our interview. Um, about intuition and it's like the the goal is to run towards something not away from something right right like um and that that being more intuition like figuring out the difference between intuition and fear yeah is more like about that but that i think that procrast like the lazy procrastination comes from the fear right whereas like the knowledge that you can get things done but just like do them in a different order like basically prioritize your brain around what you want to focus on at the moment is like i wish you were right I, I'm, I'm not sure you are but i wish because i feel like <laughs> i feel like you know a lot of like very productive people it's like they're afraid of not being productive and they're afraid which can be a thing but like they're afraid of not getting stuff done um i mean i think you're absolutely right you know for for a lot of people but i think it's you know, there's different kinds of people in these yeah. different ways. Like, I wish it was easy, you know, easier like that. And I think some people make it look easy, but it seems like the really, and I, I guess I don't count myself among like the really successful and hardworking people, like <laughs> often are like just, you know, actually in terror a lot of the time. Oh, I don't think that it means that the fear yeah. goes away. I just think that it's kind of like how you approach it or like, I'm going to, am I going to run right. from it Precisely. or am I going to run towards it? Yeah. Because it's still, there's still going to, like, yeah. A fear is always going to be Fear is always going to be yeah. there. Like, yeah, setting out and doing things on your own is kind of terrifying. Yeah. Actually, no, it's like pretty terrifying. But then sometimes you're like, oh, wait, I got this. And other times you're like, ah. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes the easiest stuff is going and working for 14 or 15 hours at just some difficult cooking job because it's you get there and you know exactly what you're going to do. And the only question is, can I do this for 15 hours? The answer is always going to be yes. Yeah. Well, actually. That's no, no, no. Go ahead. That's radically easier than like getting up in the morning and saying like I'm gonna like work on something today at home. You know that I need to do. Actually, (laughs) this is funny. Um, They found that uh, in at least in American society, people with white collar jobs procrastinate more than people in blue collar jobs. So like uh, corporate workers do so more than professionals like doctors and lawyers. And like um, when you think about it. It's like, if you're a doctor, you have to see these patients. You have to fill out the paperwork. Like, there's like, there is a, like a process to every single thing. Like, even if you work, I was telling my hairdresser one day, like, I could not, like, you literally can't not work because you have these times booked. Like, you can't be like, oh, I don't feel like cutting your hair right now. I'm going to take extra long. You don't get to do that because mm-hmm. then you're going to run into your next client and then there's going to be a problem. It's also much right? easier if you're white collar. To, to look like you're working when you're not. Exactly. It's much trickier if you're like a welder. Because <laughs> you're either welding or you're not welding. Yeah, you yeah. either produce something or not. It's not so esoteric. It's my favorite part of Office Space is when, um, was it the protagonist, they get the business consultants ask him like, would you walk us through a typical day for you? And there's that part where he's like, and after that, I just sort of space out for about an hour. Tell him uh, space out? Yeah. I just stare at my desk, but it looks like I'm working. Totally. The joy of white collar jobs. Yeah. <laughs> but so, what's what's your day to day like? You, um, 
I find I, know, I find this fascinating. Yeah, I actually like, do have a fairly like a fairly like specific routine that you know I wouldn't recommend to everybody because it doesn't you know everybody is, is different. But I do you know have my silly way I specifically do stuff, which is like I get up and I read and I drink coffee on an empty stomach. You should always drink coffee on an empty stomach. <laughs> do you do bulletproof? Um, I don't know what that is. The butter coffee. Oh no. Oh no. No, no. empty. Empty stomach. <laughs> no, yeah, no. Don't have anything to observe it. Okay. <laughs> no, but I find um that that's one of you know, the morning like reading in the morning, um, and I often read for quite a long time, is one of the few times when I'm like the anxiety hasn't started yet. Mm-hmm. You know, whether or not I drink coffee for all you people out there going, Oh, it's the coffee, it's not the coffee. Um <laughs> and I do that and then I, you know, do the kind of you know e- you know checking with emails and checking the uh, the the world you know the the time like the paper and yeah. stuff and play chess, <laughs> um, which is sometimes a terrible idea I've found. Even though like it, my goal of playing chess in the morning is not necessarily to play chess really well. It's to you know, it's kind of a way of checking in on how my brain is working. Okay, yeah, yeah I get it. Um, but sometimes it's a you make heinous. Decisions so early in the morning. And you're, yeah. Are you like trying to fix um, them? Are yeah. Like, are you like, oh man? <laughs> there is there is no fixing of mistakes in chess. There's <laughs> just, um, and then I often do some sort of of exercise. I am a big proponent of the whole exercise, whether it's going to the gym or I'm you know running extensively. You um, run marathons, yeah. I ran a marathon recently, which was really endlessly fun. I must say. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. You didn't poop your pants, did you? I did not poop my pants. Cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. That happens a lot. I'm sure that happens. It happens very often. I didn't, I didn't see it, fortunately. Um, <laughs> not to me, but I hear about it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not brave like you guys. <laughs> no hero. Um, and I, I usually, particularly when I'm doing cardiovascular exercise, I usually pick a specific creative problem to think about on... Uh, particularly like on the first hour of a run or like on the treadmill at you know the gym or you something. You said the first hour of a run. Of a longer run. Sometimes it's just, <laughs> sometimes it's just one hour. I mean it's often it's often just an hour of running. It's a, like an hour is a very reasonable time to run at a you know. Um Okay. Don't don't make me have to be like in any way more fit than I am because I'm not particularly fit. I mean, more well, you ran more. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're yeah. like, oh, my first hour. I ran it slow. The second hour, I, I analyzed Proust passages on the third hey, hour. I love Proust passages, <laughs> but, um, but I would not try to analyze them. Oh, no. I absolutely adore Proust, to be totally honest. I'm going to be upfront about that, and probably people make fun of me, which is fine. Um, I'll just run away. No, but I, I, after you know, after one runs for a while, I think. I mean, it's really the first half hour that you tend to really get stuff done. Um, and I think also because you're forced, in a sense, not just to figure it out all the way, you're also forced to remember it because mm-hmm. you don't have anything to write it down on. So I think the method of maybe not memorizing it, but I think you tend to have a deeper understanding of your solution to a creative problem hmm. by thinking, particularly it's a narrative problem. It's like a screenwriting thing and you're trying to figure out like the relationship between characters. You kind of tend to keep replaying like the scene or the idea that you have in your head with kind of some, some imagery. You just replay it a couple times until it really, you, you have a, a strong sense of it. Okay. You know, and I think that is actually very beneficial 
to the writing process. Did you always do it that way? Or did you used to like write? Like, I'm just curious of if, if you find that your memory has become somewhat better, or you, you know, like if you used to write it versus like giving it time to think about it, giving yourself Probably. In general, I think my memory um, is not as good as it maybe was when I was younger. Um, but I, I have one of those annoying, like, I just remember a lot of stupid things all the time. Um, but no, I didn't, I didn't used to, I mean, honestly, and I'm totally not joking. One of the great epiphanies of my life was that I get more work done in the shower than any other thing. And that was kind of like, that's, you know, like the, the running thing in a way, like, mm-hmm. you know, is, is a slightly longer version of showers for exactly the same reason. Like, you know. You're, you can't write stuff down generally in the shower. Although I have at times like tried to scribble things down in like the, uh, you know, the condensation on the mirror and stuff. Yeah, I have done that. <laughs> you, get, you don't get a, you don't got a shower pad. No, I do not. They Which have I think those. Is a good, I know, but it's, I think it's a good thing. This is my whole point. Is I think it's a good thing that I don't. It forces you to think stuff all the way through and then to remember them. Um, I know it sounds like absurd, but that was no, like no. Actually, you know, we we did a we talked about that with. Um, with our guest uh, Dina Zukic, and we talk about how when you ha- you can have you have insights when your brain is not right. like activate or when the the fr- was the prefrontal cortex yeah when it usually it's working really hard to solve a problem but then when that's actually quieted down usually while you're like you know doing something that's relaxing or whatever that's exactly. when you have your insights yeah no that's that's well you know it's it's funny my my father was actually a, a very intelligent man, um, told me that when I was a little kid that he was like, you know, and he was talking more about like math and stuff like that, but he says, that's how you solve problems. And you think about it really, really hard for, you know, a specific length of time and then you stop and you do something else and that's when you figure it out. That's so interesting. And I don't know, maybe people learn differently. And I, I've had, I think I've had this conversation with you, Jay, but like, you know, like I know writers who, and I guess you kind of do this where you almost are like writing the story already in your head and do you when you sit down at the computer to write does it just come out more or less like how you're ready to write it or do you put it on the page and then like finagle with it um well you always you know like they always say like the the writing is in the rewriting and that's always true although i tend to rewrite stuff later i tend to figure stuff out like particularly when I'm like in the in the thick of a writing project, I am to some extent thinking about it all the time, but often like just in the back of my head and uh-huh. stuff just kind of you just you figure stuff out. And then yeah, when I actually go down to depending on the things, but yeah, yeah I do tend to kind of rough stuff in and then fix it a little bit, but I don't more I, or less I don't in your head. really try to go crazy on the rewriting um until you know until a later time. Usually, I mean, I... You let it breathe. Yeah, or I finish a whole, like, I won't go back and work on the same scene. I'll actually, you know, because so many people have trouble finishing stuff because they're, you know, they're messing around, they're trying to fix these tiny little things. Mm. When, you know, you, you might find that what you really need to do is cut that whole scene that you've now spent some absurd amount of time like totally. worrying about a thing. Finish your damn script. Like, finish your structure. That's you know? the... Good procrastination, right? Like yeah. putting out the taking yeah. out like yeah. those things that you don't necessarily need to do right now. Yeah.
Well, your cooking, is that kind of part of the procrastination because it's like an an enjoyable task? Do you cook before, do you cook every day and... I don't think every day, but absolutely, no, absolutely. That was, that was how I came to cook professionally. Was I like one of the other <laughs> relatively small number of, of epiphanies I've had in my life was that although I find writing incredibly satisfying, I also find it incredibly miserable. <laughs> and, the, and the process itself I find extremely stressful and just not fun at all. It's kind of, it's very stressful and kind of, I feel like I'm racing all the time and it's just awful. I feel like, you know, I'm going to, if I stop, I'm going to like, it's all going to fall to pieces and be crap. Um, whereas cooking, I actually find like genuinely really enjoyable. Like the actual act of cooking stuff and cutting things and shaping, you know, this kind of craftsmanship element. Of it. There is there is a certain type of craftsmanship in writing, but there's something very nice about doing stuff with your hands yeah. and and making something that's much more immediately finished and much more immediately enjoyable to people, you know? But you give a lot of thought to your cooking too because you do these, um, you host these supper clubs, supper yeah. clubs but then they're historically based yeah, I meals two, for the most part. Yeah, I have two different supper clubs okay. entirely and one is kind of this... Very overblown, precious, like modern, you know, French modernist, you know, cutting edge kind of thing. And that one's um, called? That is what a Knives and Fire is. Okay. And then I work as a chef um, with some friends of mine. We have a second supper club um, that's called Edible History that does historically based, you know, historically reasonably accurate food. Like we're doing a big Tudor inspired feast coming up where, um, my friend Victoria Flexner, who's awesome and you should have her on your show, um, gives a, not a lecture, but a like a talk, a very interesting talk about the, you know, whatever the history surrounding that era is with, with an emphasis on the food, but also to give you just a sense of what the, the world was at that time. And it's, it's a really, it's, it's a really nice experience. It's awesome. So like, but that seems like a, li- like those are also very well thought out. Yeah, I mean they're particularly the like my personal like knives and fire it could because it's these very like it's extremely technical cooking. You know, I came out of this kind of hardcore French pastry and hardcore like, you know, Michelin star fancy pants stuff, which I which I adore. I mean, I really love that stuff. So it's um, you know, it's very small things, it's a lot of courses. It's yeah, and those things have to be figured out and the whole idea is some kind of balance and interestingness I don't know Interest. so well, cool. you're using you, I mean it's cool though because you have all these technical skills but probably like in the moment of cooking a lot of them you already are you a lot of times learning art. the technical stuff or are you usually probably like applying a lot of things that you've yeah a lot, of the stuff, you like, a lot of the stuff I mean uh, you know there's a distinction in a weird way, like when cooking, there's a distinction between like the pastry side and the savory side. And like usually when we think of savory cooking, it's like, you know, frying something in a pan and whatever. And we think of pastry side as like baking something. And then like the, and that's 
that is true. And like the, the most basic difference is that usually when you're making something, it has to be really finished. Like you have to have done it right before it goes in the oven right, because right. It, or it'll come out mm-hmm. wrong. Whereas often in savory food, um, it's more this like seat of the pants, like you're kind of doing it in real mm-hmm. time and you're like, oh, yeah. I'll do a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and I'll taste it and I'll adjust it. And, and, um, and in a weird way, like modernist cooking is often just a... Seriously, it's often just the application of kind of that pastry mindset to more kinds of savory food where you've really worked stuff out beforehand and you're like doing kind of technical things and, you know, you need to heat stuff to very specific temperatures or whatever, what have you, you know. So you talk about how writing is kind of like painful, even though like, <laughs> yeah. right? Well, a lot of people do talk about that actually. Even uh, Stephen Pressert in the, the War of Art, he talks about how like he kind of hates it. It's like he's one of those people who wakes up every and does four hours of writing and he talks about like by the second hour, it's not so painful. And then by the time he's done, he's like, oh, that was cool. But like every morning, it's like anxiety and doing yep. thing to just begin. Yeah. Um, but like you used to work as a screenwriter, as your primary yes. position before you you t- right. developed these supper clubs. Yes. So why did you get into it if it was so painful? Was it more like that you just... I have. All, I mean, that's all, what I always want. You know, I always wanted to work in the film industry and make, you know, make films. This is what I always wanted to do. Um, I came to cooking, you know, later, and I, I adore cooking and I enjoy cooking, but I think that kind of... Making serious cinema is always what I wanted to do, and I know that's like kind of annoying to say. Um, it's but it's incredibly, you know, I found it even when I was having a reasonable amount of success, um, often incredibly stressful and incredibly unpleasant. Also, like the the, the the film industry is a crazy place. It's yeah, it's you know, it can be very random. You can work extremely hard on things that then go nowhere. You know, you can get, work extremely hard on stuff that gets bought and never made. So you've now, you know, th- th- there becomes an inverse relationship between like how much you, you like something in. and how happy it makes you. Because often you like something, you know, it's if you weren't that satisfied with it and someone buys it and doesn't make it, okay, that's nice. You, you know, you're getting paid to write and that's kind of great. If you really loved it and you're really proud of it and someone buys it and is never going to make it, that's really depressing yeah and actually that makes sense though that you that you really love to cook and then you have that like immediate it's kind of awesome product. immediate like reward you, you have yeah. like it's always it yeah. was always a creation people are so I mean, yeah people are really happy to eat food <laughs> yeah <laughs> <It's true. laughs> yeah it's 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 immediate gratification it's, it's interacting with people in a way that's incredibly satisfying <laughs> yeah, I find it's it's marvelous. No one's like actually, you know, the star decided to get pregnant and can't do the movie. So you we're gonna have to throw your pie away. You know? yeah, exactly. And like, no one's ever like they're like, Can you actually rewrite? We don't want apples to be the star of this pie. We want aliens to be the star of this pie. <laughs> you know, like. That sounds so plausible to me. <laughs> Except without the pie, but yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Where yeah. it's like, oh yeah. Treat this preciously. Wait a no. minute. You're like, this is perfect that's, and beautiful. Leave it. <laughs> I mean, that's one of the nature of, of screenwriting, and it's like the, often the most important thing to remember is it's not a finished form. It's not a novel. It's not a short story. It's a blueprint. So always remember that you're, you're writing stuff to, you know, that can be absolutely marvelous and incredibly and can be, you know, the heart of a great movie at times, but at the end of the day... It's it's a blueprint for a director and for actors and cinematographers to make the final thing. 
Niggas stuck on stupid, I gotta keep it moving. Niggas make the same shit. Me, I make the blueprint. Came in the rain. So how did you get into it? Did you um did you study film or Yeah, I, I studied film in school. Um and I worked worked film production. Um the dreaded and, production job. Yeah, everyone yeah. I feel like everyone in film has worked production just to get somewhere else, right? Yeah, I mean I always really liked I actually always really enjoyed you know making films it's like you know it's fun it's it's often it's often a good group of people mm-hmm. you know like working film sets was always fun i did both kind of kind of like you know medium high end commercials and i worked a lot of like you know i made a lot of very low budget films with people i knew and stuff and that's always a really it's a really fun experience it can be extremely difficult and challenging but it's really you know there's a lot of camaraderie there and it's it's really cool and you know um and then for a while, my bread and butter was writing like terrible space films. Let's <laughs> um, put the alien in the pie, yeah. <laughs> I have totally, I, it's funny, I actually never, I don't think I ever really did anything with aliens per se. What about sharks? I never got to do any of those. It's funny because I, I, wrote, I wrote for the Sci-Fi Channel, you know, for a while. Um, and I, you know, I didn't, I was always on the Sci-Fi side. I didn't get to do any of the like giant mecha shark versus, shark you know. Oh, that would be amazing. Oh, no. What are we going to do? We're gonna stand and fight. You can't just wait here and wait for sharks to rain down on us again. Dude, it was so good. Shark in the worst way. <laughs> Instead of letting live sharks rain down on people, we're gonna get in that chopper and throw bombs into the tornadoes. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get to do. I didn't get to do that stuff. I mostly did. I mean, my trick was always basically writing low-budget action films and setting them in space. You know, because there was human actors and on spacey sets and stuff. I mean. I, you know, I'm, I'm not a super, like, I mean, you know, I was young once and I'm male. So obviously I have some abiding fondness for that, that, for space, for that sort of cinema. And I'm like familiar with it, but it was never like, you know, it was never like my dream to do that, which can be really problematic writing low budget science fiction. You can always tell, because I fixed a lot of scripts. A lot of, a lot of what I did was like, I did a lot of hired gun writing in, in a lot of different ways. Um, you can tell people when people like really love sci-fi and it's just, you know, it's, they write this or this all descriptions of hyperdrives and just, just like, you, you know, it's oh, they point, make it really t- like, yeah, not at some point you have to have like, yeah. you know, characters and people saying stuff and doing stuff that holds your attention because like most low budget sci-fi films, the effects aren't going to look so good to like yeah. make yeah. your giant starship and planet exploding actually look any good. So you need to find something else. Not that my films are even watchable, frankly. But, um, <laughs> the ones that got made. I mean, that's what drove me if crazy you, about Hollywood. So, if you were to write your like dream, like you you get a, an open budget, you get to make the film of your dreams. You get to, you get to work with you get to work with whoever you want to. What is this film gonna be about? Like, what's gonna happen? All right. Um, I think Disney once made a terrible um, Ray Liotta picture called Operation Dumbo Drop that was vaguely based on a real incident. It's like this weird... Ray Liotta in a Disney film? I think it was Disney. Maybe it wasn't Disney. But it was I'm, Disney. I'm just... No, I, I could you. be wrong about it being Disney. Let me... Let me but it's a, it's I could totally be called? wrong. Called Operation Dumbo Drop, and it's vaguely based on a true incident, and it's a comedy set in the Vietnam War <laughs> where to um, win the hearts and minds of some visitor, um, you were right, villagers, um, they try to get an elephant because the uh, <laughs> the villagers worshipped 
this ele- you know, worship elephants. And they were going to get this elephant and then like win the hearts and minds of the villagers and somehow get it to this village in- during the Vietnam War. Okay, I would love to remake that as a giant, like, actual, like, Apocalypse Now, that's as good as Apocalypse Like, Because like, that is, like, the absurdity and madness of war right there. Yeah, like, yeah, if you, if it, yeah. You know, yeah. Didn't did I mean the idea that dump, that they did that is like kind of a zany comedy. Like, did they it, actually they actually dropped it off there I, in real life? I'm not even sure if I've even seen this picture. To be honest, uh, I'm just it? I'm just inspired by its existence. So <laughs> that's, I mean, that's what I you know like that's a total off the top of my head. I mean, there's, there's so many you know. This like, is amazing. Oh, Rotten Tomatoes is one and a half star. This wow. plot summary is amazing. It says a savvy veteran army captain. Danny Glover is teamed with a by-the-book West Point officer, Ray Liotta, to lead the quote-unquote weightiest military maneuver ever. <laughs> See, I mean, that would be that would be a totally incredible. Like there would be a marvelous big budget movie. That would be a great, you know, a great, you know, Fitzcarraldo right there. I could totally see, you know, doing that. So, yeah, I don't know. oh my god, there's, there's lots of films I would love to make. That I is, have to watch this movie. Uh, there's a lot of bad ones out there. <laughs> okay, so yeah, so it'd be a redo of Operation Dumbo Drop. That would be that, that would be genius. Um, I'm sure there's lots of other things I would I would love to do. You know, um, I have lists. Okay, but that's a good one. I would I would watch that. I'm gonna watch this bad one now too. Don't do it. I'm gonna do it. Okay. Okay. In the story of an elephant. Who turned a top-notch army unit into a three-ring circus? I, I love how the procrastination theme. When I was, we were trying to figure out like what what Jay's theme was, and you completely were like, "Yeah, that makes a lot of sense." <laughs> yeah, but yeah, like working in film is actually the most dangerous thing for like procrastination because theoretically. Anytime you want to watch a movie, you could actually be working. Mm, yeah, you know, like I'm doing research. You know, you could be just lo- you know, you're learning about cinema. And I do try to watch, you know, I really try to watch at least a movie every day. And there was a period in my life where I wa- tried to watch three movies every day um, while I was in college and working full time. And I did. I was cool, young man. then. Stay still productive. Um, I'm not even sure that counts as productive. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just didn't sleep It's all much. about framing. Yeah. It's all about yes. framing. Do you, do, do you, like, everyone has that problem where they don't feel, when they go through, like, writer's block or they just don't feel inspired. How, do you think the procrastination helps you through that? Like, maybe. Some, I mean, that's, that's one of the real, like, that's the real razor's edge right there. That's the real, like, miserable part because that's, that is where, like, depression and, and like, stuff really does lurk. You know, uh-huh. um, sometimes, sometimes like this, like the little procrastination strategies do solve that problem. It's like, you know, you have to trick yourself to not thinking about the fact that you like are worried about writer's block or you think you're writer's block or something. And you need to like, f- you know, trick yourself to th- just forget that in some fashion. But if you fail to do that, I mean, I for one can, you know, can have like serious problems with depression <laughs> to be frank. And well, yeah, I feel like that most people can. Like it, it happens to everyone at at least at some point in their life, and that makes sense though that it's kind of like this overwhelming. Yeah. Everybody hurts sometimes.
do you, just for inspiration, um, you know, you were, you were using like, oh, I, I used to try to watch three movies a day, but like in terms of um, going out and into the, the real world to find inspiration of like how people, uh, I guess, interact or engage. Do you ever find yourself being like, oh, I'll go to this event because it's research and I'll- oh, I tried so I mean, yeah, if there's you know, there's one thing that I consistently feel guilty about is not doing enough of that. Uh-huh. You know? And that was actually what absolutely drove me crazy about when I was like re- employed writing really hard all the time is uh-huh. like there was you know, I didn't get out enough. I didn't like interact with people enough. I didn't hear their voices enough. You yeah. Know? I didn't get to eavesdrop enough. And like eavesdropping is like a good solid like fifteen to twenty percent of writing is just eavesdropping and remembering <laughs> totally. shit. Um so yeah, I, I mean, you know, I, I'm consistently guilty about the uh, the not getting out as much. But then again, that's how I met you. So you yeah, know. Oh, yeah. I met Jay at a bug blank banquet. Yeah, where we ate bugs. That was awesome. It was really cool. I've never really done that. So you didn't throw the bug banquet. You were no. I was were, just no. I no. It was a. Uh, it was a biohacking yeah. event. A biohacking okay. Thing. Seriously, were the were. What bugs were delicious and what bugs were nasty? The chapelinas there were the best chapelinas I've ever had, which are which are toasted grasshoppers. Okay. They did it with a little Those chili really and lime. Those were really good. Those were great. They had a giant thing of it, and I put them on everything. The um the mealworms were like like the crispy ones were okay, but the ones that were just kind of in like the um I wish we got the bigger worm, the one that was handy. Oh, the tobacco. Yeah, they, they gave us this enormous, brightly colored green tobacco worm. And I wanted to know what that one um, tasted that like. That was huge. Um, it was those really- you definitely have to uh, either starve or like run the bowel on when you before you eat them, like squish out their some of their innards. Oh, I have no idea. They hold. Were they, they alive when they gave? Yeah, yeah. Them I have you? a picture of it like on my hand. Like while it's like they're about you know a good like four inches. They're really cute. It's like a Timon and Pumbaa kind of thing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness. Ew, gross. Mm. Tastes like chicken. Slimy yet satisfying. <laughs> All right, I'm not trying to judge. I'm just like, this is, you guys are, I'm not brave like that. Well, it tastes good. I would maybe do the grasshoppers. They sound, grasshoppers sound good. Yeah, it's true. Like, you know, it's like a Mexican um, thing. Yeah. Eat them all the time. Apparently, most of the world eats them. They also eat, uh, in Mexico, they also eat um, like big uh, ant eggs. Yeah. Which I've had there, which are really, you know, I had, I mean, those, I had them like on, you know, bruschetta with like, cheese and it was really good but it didn't taste it's like well. caviar exactly i feel like i was facing a fear actually oh. i had um uh an experience where <laughs> i always have to bring up my dad but uh <laughs> <laughs> oh my god we should totally have papa chow 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 papa chow chow he was just me confused the whole time and just say things uh but i literally i had um a box of uh Devil's food cake cookies. I used to love them, like the Snackwell ones, just like bad. And uh, I had left them in uh, the dressing room. I used to dance, and this is like maybe when I was like ten or something like that. And I came back, and they were covered in ants, and I hadn't even touched them yet. And they were just sitting there covering in ants, and I was like, "Dad, my my cookies are covered in ants." <laughs> and he just starts being like, "Oh, they're fine." And then he just starts eating them. He just like starts. <laughs> shoving the cookies in his mouth and there's like ants crawling on his face <laughs> and I'm like horrified I'm like ah oh. and he's like it's protein good protein and they're kind of spicy yeah and so I ate some ants at the at the banquet and yeah. um did you ever eat Snackwell's devil food cookies ever again uh maybe I don't think I bought them I used to like get them all the time I don't I like 
yeah, no, not not like I did before that incident. It's <laughs> a surefire way to get you to stop eating uh, junk food. Yeah, I guess so. I don't think he even thought about that way. He was actually, I think he's actually genuinely trying to make me feel better, I think. Oh, really? Or was he trying to teach you a valuable life lesson? About like not leaving your food in the... Yeah, about not wasting. Yeah, no, yeah, he hates wasting stuff. So he was totally just like, eat the, eat the freaking cookies. Uh, who cares about other things? C is for cookie. That's good enough for me. C is for cookie. I do have to ask you the one question. Mm-hmm. What's your worst procrastination story? Oh my goodness. Um, um, I think the short answer may involve a producer asking me like if they could send me a prostitute. Because <laughs> like, I was like it. kind of behind on something. <laughs> and they're like, what, 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 what do, do you need? need? <laughs> what do you need? We really want this soon. What, what do you, you know, we, we, we could send you someone. I was like, what? You know, <laughs> like, you know, like a girl. It's like, Okay, no. No, that's <laughs> maybe. I mean, you know, like I don't I don't know how that would make me write faster, but um they were finding other ways to procrastinate. <laughs> that may have, yeah, exactly. I'm like, that's, <laughs> I guess if you're going to procrastinate, it's a good way to do it. Yeah. You can afford it. Well, I guess like also maybe then you'd be like your mind would be clear and Yeah, but like, it's like that- Japanese um <laughs> I don't know if it's true, but someone was telling me about like some Japanese like Buddhist monks <laughs> which I don't I should not thinking about it. I don't think this is true at all, but like the clarity of mind after you uh release yourself. Apparently. Well the only time you're not thinking about sex is yeah. immediately for yeah. men. Yeah. So. Well yeah, well the French call it uh le petit mort, like the Small death. death. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the moment after that's like kind of like this moment of clarity. Thank God for granting me this moment of clarity. This moment of honesty ain't no more squad of me. Uh. Actually, I went to one of your supper clubs. I went to the, to the, uh, which one was it? The theme. I don't remember the. They don't, like most of them do not have themes. I mean, you, it was just good. Yeah. You went to one of the Knives and Fire one. It wasn't a, it wasn't a historical one. Um, I don't actually remember. Maybe a, f- I don't know. What do you remember eating? Um, I remember there was. Um, it's so funny. I'm somebody who like remembers the overall essence. Like I remember, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> like uh, I remember the textures were really good, and I remember Are there the were a lot of unexpected textures, and I remember um, there was this there was something. There was a salted chocolate of some sort. Oh, you um, the, I think you had the um, I think you had the one with the uh, the salty licorice dessert. Was that the one you went to? I think so. Yeah, I th- I, I and think I don't normally like uh, licorice, and yeah. I remember being like, "This is actually really good." And I maybe yeah. because of the salt cutting it or something. Yeah, that that's I, a dessert that's actually based on a. Uh, I think it's a Swedish. It's a little Swedish. Swedish those salty. Oh god. Yeah, and it's, those it's, are so harsh. Oh well, this is not one of the harsh ones. This is this is one. It's, it's like caramel chocolate and salty licorice. It's called a dunle. and uh, yeah, I turned it into, into a dessert, and I made salty licorice flavored ice cream, and that's a nice dessert actually. It's really good, and it was just like a fun experience in that you know you get to I we got to meet some random people. All of a sudden, you're at one dinner table, and uh, there's like some of the private conversations. But at some points, you know, yeah, it's you a get nice to, like, talk you know, to everybody. It's a nice way to meet people. I you know I wish I got to meet more of the people who come to my supper clubs. Every time I'm like it's working so hard, and yeah. then like you know, like, you know, try to get some interaction at the end. So come to my supper club and talk to me for God's sake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, be my friend. Yeah. Find him. And if you want to hire him, do a private supper club. 
That's a lovely thing to do. That's I will, also. I will shape awesome. something fabulous for you. I think there's a certain like the way your brain works as well. I don't. I don't know if you have ADD, but one way my uh, my psychiatrist had explained it to me that uh, for people with a non ADD brain the like bells go off sooner. They're a bit more sensitive. The amount of uh, chemical, there's a certain chemical related to it that they need for them to be like, oh shit, I got to do this. Their threshold is a lot lower than the the person with the ADD brain, which I guess is related to the procrastination. So like that whole like needing the the urgency and like, okay, it's pretty much needs to be due like yesterday. Like that that level of stress apparently yeah you need a lot more of it than the other person who like would have been freaking out like a week ago and you're like whatever well, i think it's also if you're baseline i mean it, for me everything is always some kind of weird battle with anxiety and if your baseline anxiety is really high yeah you know, right. it's like not necessarily got that much worse and you start asking yourself like what's the worst i mean you start making like strange fantasy ideas about you know like i don't think i've ever been in the thick of a big serious project where I didn't at some point like think like well, let's see if I like you know faked a suicide attempt they really can't you know be too, <laughs> too angry at me for not finishing this you know or something like that you know if I could jump in front of a cab kind of hurt you know <laughs> And nobody can be mad. They can't be that mad at me. They can't really expect it to be. Like, I don't think I've ever considered a whole, pro- like, you know, like a project without at some point trying to think of some way to get out of it. And that, you know, and then I'm extremely happy when it's finished. But somewhere along the way, at least once, I'm like. There must be some kind of way out of here. We talked about one technique for people who procrastinate um, of, of uh, keeping like a fake, urgent um, task at the top of your list so that you get the other stuff done. Um, like writing a whole book, right? Like something that's like not easily yeah, it's measured. Real, yeah, it's real, yeah. They want to do like make it something that seems urgent. Like the example that he uses because he's in academia is like there's something that's supposed to be due like 10 months ago. There's actually a secretary that calls him every so often about it, but no one's handed it in. So there's this, everyone's actually taken this, Every, kinda, no one takes it seriously in the same way, but there's like one person that kind of does, but clearly it's inconsequential. So that's, that's been one of the things that he's always like, I should get that done. And then the other things end up getting done. So the second part of that is also, I think for people who aren't procrastinators, the instinct to tell the people who procrastinate, it's like, you got to cut your list down. You got to like really narrow it down so that um, you can actually get the important things done. But actually, that is death to the procrastinator, apparently, because you yeah, need the more the you list. have, yeah. the more you have, the harder you work. Well, you get that, well, you need the anxiety, apparently. Yeah. You kind of need the anxiety of like, oh my God, I've got all the crap I have to do. <laughs> yeah, I think sometimes it's better to write, like, to write your list as kind of, I can't think of the word right now, but... Um, to use multiple entries for the same thing that you have to do, don't say, like, I have to cook everything. Like, write down the various different things that you have to cook or the various parts of something that you have to do. Because then it's much easier to just 
to actually do them one at a time. As they're measurable. Think, yeah, it's not overwhelming. Yeah, yeah, they're small. You know, you break. I mean, I guess that's incredibly obvious, but break stuff down into like sizable chunks. And like at any given time, one of them will just have some little feature that appeals to you. I mean, that's really the thing. I mean, it's like that's not just that they're small, discrete bites, because that's obviously the way you, one approaches any project is you break it down into reasonable steps. But in terms of procrastination, by breaking it down into a bunch of steps and not having a specific order that you have to do them and not forcing yourself into that paradigm of like, mm. I must do it in this order, something about one of them will probably jump out at you that like, oh, that's, it sounds like the easiest one right now, or it sounds like the most fun one that's right so now. That's so interesting. Yeah. Just like, I feel like working with this thing or whatever. And that, that often works, that works surprisingly well. I think the things that work often work Surprise! I mean that like literally, like surprisingly well. You're surprised by how well the things that work do actually work. I like your spin on that because yeah, that is something people say, but it's normally just so that you know you don't put like, hey, got to write my book, and then you have a week when you're all of a sudden like, hey, I'm going to try to put it together. So you have to like piece yeah. it down to the little goal so you get the anxiety sooner. But I I like your approach to it in terms of finding the thing that you're like, hey, yeah. I'm excited about that. Let the thing talk to you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I like it. Awesome. Thank you for doing this. I think um, it's helpful for people who are listening who are, you know, people who procrastinate a lot. Not I. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, it can be something as seen as like really debilitating and something that like will stop you from being able to do what you want to do. But uh, Jay here has made it work for him. um, And he is self-employed as we were talking about. Like he gets to like make his own schedule, decide when he wants to work and all these sort of things. And he's done that despite um, having to fight procrastination previously in his life. Yeah. Uh, Or work uh, with procrastination. Well, now he works with it. Uh, (laughs) Actually, uh, some of, there's a lot of famous people who have been known to be procrastinators. Like whom? Uh, One of my favorites is uh, Mr. Bill Quinn. Uh, Apparently, uh, <laughs> Hillary and I guess others have commented that he is like time challenged <laughs> and that uh, apparently, you know, and he, he became president of the United States. So these are things that people can overcome. So thank you for being with us, Jay. Tell people where they can find you if they want to reach out. Um, you can look up Knives and Fire on Facebook. Okay. Um, Edible History on a website called Edible History. I think it's Edible History NYC. Okay. Look also on Facebook. Um, and you can email me through, actually just through, through Knives and Fire. And okay. ask me anything and what the heck ever. Awesome. It'll give you something to do. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And make sure you check out. Jay's uh, Supper Clubs and reach out if you're interested in attending one or maybe hosting one yourself. Um, They're fantastic. Yeah. That's what I hear. Can't wait to eat something. Um, (laughs) Let us know what you thought about this or if you have any questions. Um, We love hearing from you. Chillandambitious.com Correct. Or on social medias, uh, the Periscope, the Twitter, the Instagram, the Facebooks, the the Snapchats, at Chill Ambitious. Uh, You can find us on iTunes. Oh, iTunes or SoundCloud. Yes. Yes, we're everywhere. We're everywhere. Um, So, yeah. 
uh, make sure you, uh, if you do like what you hear, that you give Let us, us some know. feedback, you give us some ratings. That'd be great. Uh, thank you for listening and talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Took my grandfather. That's why I really hate sharks.